0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in sponsorship with our partners, Najahi Events. And if you don't know about Najahi, go and check the latest development of that organization, the Najahi Tribe, great e-learning platform. So many speakers that have got stuff to teach are there to bring value to you. So go check out Najahi Tribe. It's literally just been launched today. On the same day, there's World Autism Day, the 2nd of April, and I've got a really special guest joining us on the show today. Adam Griffin okay who's been here in Dubai for a while now he's got a bit of an accent for my listeners that are in the States don't worry some of us talk like that in the UK too but let me give you a bit of a rundown on Adam before we get him to come and join us so Adam is a senior consultant pediatric occupational therapist the reach out therapy center as well as a vocal advocate for the autistic community here in the Middle East he's got a wealth of experience and postgraduate training in supporting young adults and disabilities, particularly those on the autism spectrum and their families. Since getting over to here in Dubai eight years ago, Adam's been instrumental in establishing developmental educational and vocational support services here in the UAE, as well as providing the highest standard of care for hundreds of families that he works with. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your time today. I know we're all a bit coronaed up, so we'll probably talk about that. But anyway, today's a special day for you, yeah?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, this is, as you mentioned, today's lighted up blue. So 2nd of April is the day once a year we all talk, just raise awareness of the needs of the ASD community who are dealing with, those dealing with autism and their families and just trying to see what matters most to them and make everyone else realize these guys aren't a, apart from community, apart,
0: they're not outside of the community that we're all part of, they're within it. So we need to help them out too. Autism for, you know, I go back to my past and I have a sister that's got Asperger's disease and, uh, and she went to a special needs school when she was younger. So, you know, this is back in the, the 70s and 80s. And so she grew up in a world where it was seen so much differently to how it is today. And I can't, I can't you know, be happier if I'm really honest. You know, I was with Scott Welch, the boxer, um, the ex heavyweight boxer that was here working with children with disability, the, the WBA um, does a lot in trying to get kids in, in, in and use the word inclusion and so they were teaching them uh, boxing as a sport and trying to get the kids more included and as I, as I was watching that I could see um, I was with Khalid Mary, and I could see really how different it was for my daughter and uh, my sister sorry and it made me feel really sad joyful for the kids but just so sad that my sister had grown up with exclusion as opposed to mm. inclusion what do, you think, what do you think was the catalyst to try and change that over the years? Was there any one thing? Was there a moment? Or was it just people saying, enough is enough, we need to think about this differently?
1: Yeah, it's changed. It's almost like generational change. So you've seen a few different time periods where the thinking about ASD changed massively. And a lot of that was perpetuated by just a general misunderstanding, not even a lack of awareness, but people thinking things that were true, which were not. For example, back. And like the seventies and eighties, there was commonly heard of ideas like refrigerator mothers. This idea that it was a parent's fault that the child had grown up like this. And they look because autism is kind of it's a kind of an insidious onset. So there is no one causative factor. So people like to try and find a reason why is my child like this. So they look for. Vaccines, or they look for the refrigerator mother idea, or they look for all different kinds of smoking guns. And anything that people in general don't understand, they kind of fear. And that fear then perpetuates this attitude towards otherness or exclusion, or keeping seeing these kids, this child's not like my child, they're different in some way. And that keeps this community very isolated. And then for my families who are on the, have kids on the spectrum, and for adults in the spectrum themselves, when you're within a society that doesn't really understand you, the temptation is to circle the wagons and make your world very small and be like, okay, if these people aren't going to accept me, I'm just going to retreat within my the world that I can control. But then that's a, not a long-term strategy either. So. Wonderfully now, there's been things like the exposure of the ASD community in the general media. For example, things like the, the big one was Rain Man back in the day when Rain Man came out. Even now, when people think of autism, a lot of the times they think of Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man. Or younger kids think, or younger people think of like Sheldon Cooper and the Big Bang Theory. But now there's loads of shows. The Good Doctor, the main character is ASD. The, um, there is a uh, show on Netflix called Atypical. And that's, again, all about this family dealing with autism, but seeing it not about that this child has something just inherently wrong with them, but they have a different way of seeing the world. Then you have writers and advocates like Temple Grandin you might have heard of. Temple Grandin did amazing things to change people's minds. And these people, like your sister as well, these people, their life was difficult at that time, but they laid the foundation for the the change and those people who fought against what was the current trend at that time, like Temple, who thought, she got a university degree. She obviously doesn't have autism because someone with autism couldn't possibly do that. But yes, they can. It's not like the, the metaphor I use all the time is it's not that this child has a broken hardware. It's that they're, the difference between a Mac and a PC, it's they're a different operating system. If you try and run a program on a Mac that's made for Windows, it won't work, but it doesn't mean that the Mac is broken. It just operates differently. And if I get parents and young people to see that, it's
0: very, very helpful. It changes their viewpoint in this whole idea. That's really interesting the way you described that. The, the point you made earlier on about parents, I, I, I still to this day will go and see my mum uh, in Cyprus where she lives now. And... You know, conversation will always get back at one part. If I spend a week there, one part of the week, it will get back to what she did wrong and why Louise became the way she did, my sister Louise. Yes. And my mum, my mum, as living with guilt and blaming herself and questioning you know it's not like she smoked through pregnancy but it's like what did i do through my pregnancy what did what did i get wrong in my pregnancy for this to happen and living with that guilt that she's had over all those years must be a real burden in her mind to uh, to deal with you know my mom's 75 years old so she's a, 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 of an older generation but um i always remind her that, that Louise reason the reason is just, it's just not like me you couldn't have two kids that are the, as opposite as we are you know a reclusive shy quiet kid that doesn't like crowds and and then there's me and <laughs> literally the the extrovert the loud the boisterous the um you know the the, the, the crowd lover the attention seeker so you, to have two ex- ends of the uh, of that spectrum really um highlighted that i think a little bit more for her mm. yeah and guilt
1: is an enormous part of the it's an enormous part of many parents journeys especially moms the moms they think because they is, was there something I did during pregnancy? Is there, was there risk factors? Was there something I didn't do? Did I not exercise? Did I not eat well enough? Um, Even as a child growing up, am I doing everything I can? So this is why it's very fertile ground for people who are maybe peddling less than ideal. Anyone that mentions the idea of cure or anyone that's selling non-evidence-based treatments because parents want to do everything they can because they feel like if they're not fighting tooth and nail 24 seven, then they do feel guilt about not doing that. So if they have a child who is, even for example, if they go to the supermarket and their child is having a sensory overload and making a big scene, people are looking and the parent will feel guilty about that as well. So this is something that's very important for moms and dads as well to acknowledge that. Acknowledge this is a natural response, but it's not Correct. you shouldn't feel guilt about this sort of thing it's not and it's also the fact not that your child is broken they're, they're not broken they're just different and there's nothing you did that really
0: made them so interesting there's two there's two pieces of news in my lifetime really that made me see or autism differently one one was recently and one was i think maybe 10 or 15 years ago there was a lad i think his name a black kid called stephen Um, I forget his surname, though, but I remember him coming on TV and he could look at the skyline of any part of London and then he would literally draw that skyline, you know, millimetre perfect on on a sheet of paper. Mm. it, it, It was on, I don't know, the news one day on a magazine show and then he started to get invited onto other shows just to see whether he actually could do that. Um, mm. and, and he has this gift, this, this wonderful gift. And so I think, uh, at that moment I looked at uh, that autism and I, and I was like, wow, he's so lucky. And so instead yeah. of thinking, thinking anything negative, I was like, what a gift. If you could only imagine the possibilities, if you could do that. And then the second thing is probably more in recent years where, uh, we heard that Silicon Valley is actively looking to pursue employees. Okay that are on the autism scale. And so that for me was really interesting as well because they're identifying, look, these guys think differently and that way of thinking actually could be to a massive advantage to our, to our business mm. and the development of our programs.
1: Yeah, that's, both of those things highlights one very specific change. So your man's name is Steven Wiltshire. Okay. He's very, yeah, he, there's a lot of people share. He's very big in the AST community. So you'll see his video of drawing and it's almost like a wraparound portrait he does of a whole, almost like like if you're standing at a tower and looked around from the top of like uh, the tower in Toronto or something like that, he could draw the whole skyline. So that sort of thing, it's an island of expertise, that sort of savant, you'll hear this term used as well, type behavior. And then the guys in like IT companies like IBM and Microsoft, acknowledging the strengths of these individuals in the community. And that whole thing is very, very recent. And it comes from something Temple Grandin said for the longest time for if you want someone to be successful rather than putting so much effort and the enormous amounts of effort has been spent trying to remediate what these guys find really, really challenging. And the only thing anyone talks about is what is hard or what they can't do. No one ever focuses on what they're able to do so that these guys can do something. And. To be honest, I don't even like saying these guys because that's painting with a very broad brush. Because there's a cliche saying if you met one individual with autism, you've met one individual with autism. But in general, there's some things that a lot of my community kind of gravitate towards. For example, the IT sort of skills, or something that's very very structured and very boundary like that. They can do exceptionally well. Not only that, their focus tends to be very strong, very laser sharp. So if they're into an activity, something like coding that requires a lot of focused attention and uh, like a, a you know, very detail oriented focus, they can do enormously well. So look at it. rather than looking at the personality as being inherently pathological, look at something that doesn't necessarily have to change that. Focus on what they can do, and more than that, what I am such a big advocate for is look at what they love to do. When I meet any parent, no matter what the age of the child, one of the first things I'll ask is, what does he love? It could be superheroes, or Batman, or Minecraft, or nine, tens out of ten. Now it's Fortnite, unfortunately, which most of the families will say. But even that, we can use that as a springboard for igniting that passion, get them interested. Education and development shouldn't be all pulling the child, kicking and screaming, and focusing on what he can't do well. And when he looks at his classmates, what they do easily, and it's always hard for him find the things he loves to do and can do and let him see mastery in himself.
0: Well, hold it, so hold it a minute, hold it a minute. You can yeah. think about this for a second because you've got Cody Lee, who was the guy, the, 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 the blind autistic kid that won uh, X Factor or Britain's Got Talent or whatever it was in America, the pianist. Okay, then you, mm. then, then you had, you just mentioned gaming now, years ago, if anyone said their career is going to be gaming, you'd be like, "Yeah, we're going to get a real job." But but then, uh, there, there, was it Fortnite or something else? Uh, there was a, there was another gaming championship recently, uh, four or five months ago, where a kid won one and a half million dollars, um, mm. won the the top prize in a gaming event. Uh, you you start to think about maybe the green eyed monster comes out because some people would like to be more autistic yeah. or more focused in that way, and and don't naturally have that ability because the, now the Not only only are there opportunities, they're being realized, but also those opportunities are potentially massively rewarding opportunities financially and from a career perspective.
1: Yeah, Um, I have a bone to pick with that guy because he hasn't been a great example for a lot of my young guys I work with. I think he's like the male equivalent of when I have young girls who want to be like an Instagram influencer or want to be like Kim Kardashian. I'm like, oh, no, and this gamer guy, because he was standing in with a big paycheck, All my kids say, I play video games, that could be me. (laughs) There's a lot of guys playing these games, but one of the things it points to is it's kind of a level playing field. So the things like social communication. uh, ASD, above and beyond all else, it's an issue with socialization and communication. Seeing the world differently and finding human relationships sometimes trying, sometimes challenging. In an online scenario, they can have connectedness with their friends, but without the tension of that face-to-face. You don't have to read body language when you were one of these. The reason I use this, this, is a gaming headset, by the way, because it's like when I do the Zoom sessions with the kids, they're like, oh, tell me about your gaming headset. Excellent. When I'm <laughs> doing uh, clinic-based sessions, I wear funny socks. This is my funny sock equivalent when you can see okay. my um, But for those guys who are like the gamers, they can get that social connectedness. The barriers that were in place before stopping them from being successful, in large part, they're taken away in the online world. So things that exist in their parents, it's still not great to have 24-7 be online and just into gaming because it's very, it is intrinsically massively motivating and gives you that steady little, like a dopamine hit when you're gaming, speaking as an avid gamer myself, but you do need balance in it as well. But at the same time, it can be hugely positive for a lot of guys in my community and something they can lean into. And one of the reasons gamification works really well, I do it with a lot of my own therapy treatment is you can see yourself start at a certain level. You can see your own gradual improvement over time rather than just struggling the whole time. You can get mastery. And I'll tell you, for a lot of my guys, when the earn the next level, when they do something exceptional in a game, they feel a little boost of confidence in that world. Not only that, but it's confidence that's really reinforced by their peers. Their peers think it's cool. And this is something totally new for a lot of my guys. They're usually the outsider who can't do the cool things. Now they can
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly what I was thinking as you were saying that. It's this, uh, is, is, is autism the new cool? You know just just imagine it going from, from from my my sister when she was young to this this full evolution to you know if only we could have that if only we could be like that that's one of the coolest things to have yeah. imagine, imagine if we lived in a world where it got that it went that far how, how amazing would that be
1: yeah it would be pretty awesome the word i I go round and round. I, there's some really awesome online camp vloggers, especially. There's a, a YouTube channel called Ask an Autistic with a girl called Amethyst Schreiber. you should check out? She's amazing. And I'll, there's some very vocal people from within the community. And this something that this is something that's very new and maybe the most important from my perspective is. Everything is being talked about the ASD community up until a certain point. For example, when your sister was going through school, there was nobody influenced in those decisions who were coming from within the community. People with autism didn't have a say. It was other, a lot of times it was other very well-meaning people who were laying the groundwork and making, putting services in place and telling them what they needed. It wasn't people within the community speaking up for themselves. So now you've got some very, very influential, very vocal people saying, this is what we need, this is what we need to do well. And that has changed enormously what the like the landscape of the ASD community, and they're really becoming more and more, um, like I wouldn't even say to make it cool, that's a lovely sentiment, but almost to make it normal, make it to seem this is not different. If you go to a birthday party, these are just kids. When I work with, for example, one of the groups that I get most traction with is, Teens going through adolescence, male teenage boys going through adolescence on the spectrum. First and foremost, those are male teenage boys. That's two major factors already that's going to impact behavior. Then they also happen to have autism as well. So that it's something that makes the child just part of the community. To say they're different, even people like it's very well meaning. I didn't pull you up on it when you said it, Spencer, but when people talk about the idea of like, to be cool, or to almost like autism, to have a superpower. There is a lot of individuals, for example, who have islands of creativity, like Stephen Wiltshire, who can do these amazing things. Some people within the community find that problematic as well, like, oh, you have autism, what amazing thing can you do? Like Rain Man, oh, you must have some sort of thing, where autism does present some real everyday challenges too for these individuals and their families. So it's acknowledging what's different, what's difficult, make a society supports and includes and overcomes
0: those difficulties. And then above all, accepting them for being who they are. How did you get into this subject matter? How did it start for you? Where was the interest in the early days? Oh goodness gracious. This could be the rest of the podcast. Um,
1: oddly it, it was something I found my way into rather tangentially. And this is something that's true of a lot of the kind of really good therapists I know. I was actually a personal trainer for years and one of my clients had a son who had cerebral palsy and then I got speaking to speak them seeing the benefits because was always a big advocate for fitness for kids and the benefits of fitness for academics and mood and everything else. And then I saw the work that what an occupational therapist would do just to make this young person's life and their family's life more bearable. And there was something, what I love about OT straight from the beginning is it wasn't like the man says, it's not rocket surgery. There's nothing very hugely cutting edge or high tech about it. It's beautiful in a very, everyday, ordinary, almost mundane way. You make small little things that can be life-changing to this young person and to their family, and then broadly to the greater community as well. So I found OTs, we sort of are very good at um, the nitty gritty of getting our sleeves rolled up, not writing prescriptions and doing very large, very focused high-end clinical stuff. Well we do that too? But more, what's going to have the biggest real world impact? And then for autism, it was just exposure and meeting lots of families who needed help, who thought that their day-to-day life was really challenging. But one of the big things that changed me was working with teenagers, actually. One of the first services I had in Dubai here was working with teens to transition from being kids with a disability to being young adults and independent adults within a community with a job and whatever else. And seeing families who had sort of made their peace with life being difficult and thought okay we i guess this is how it's got to be now That it's going to be a struggle to get through each day and then each day leads into weeks and months and years where they didn't really see how things could be any different and then working with them, not coming to them with a magic plan but really working at the face really strongly with families and with employers and with communities to make small changes in their everyday routine really involving the young person then as well and gradually getting some positive momentum. I'm all about momentum in my treatment. So it's all, are you going somewhere you're happy about? Does next year make you feel more hopeful and positive than this year did? If not, what can we do to
0: change that? It's really interesting you say that. Now, when you think about your career, and uh, I, I'm a little bit envious because you must get a lot of satisfaction from the work that you do, and you then look forward to what somebody like you does over the course of the next five or 10 years, you look like a relatively young guy. Where does, where does a, a career that you're in take you? Where, where, where do you go? Do you, do you, is, do you have to leave places like Dubai and head to, to epicenters, you know, metropolises like the New Yorks, the, the Londons, Parises, etc., Or do you find a way of just staying in the environment you're in and just trying to help as many people as you can?
1: it depends what your goals are really. Like one of the things, the thing I love to do almost more than anything else, like I love the hands-on treatment, the clinical work with the kids is amazing. I've done that for years and years and years. My favorite thing to do is teach. So I love educating parents and educating other therapists. I get so much satisfaction of doing that because I feel like this person who came in really almost like you see them very downcast and they're sort of I'm doing the best I can, but it's all I can do to hold on with my fingernails. And then they leave with this sort of newfound sense of purpose and optimism. And then now that person, it's not only that I made a young person to develop a new skill or to tie their shoelaces or something, which is amazing, very worthwhile to do. But this is someone who I've now changed the course of their life for the next little while. And it can be this ripples in the pond effect, then they can go on to do amazing things. And that's, That sort of sense of education is where I'm really motivated by. So the nice thing is that platforms like Zoom, like we're using now, means you don't necessarily have to the anywhere that you can do teletherapy. Teletherapy has become more and more accepted. I love the CAMS world. So child and adolescent mental health is where I get the absolute most satisfaction because one of the challenging parts, it's one of the most challenging areas because it's not therapy you can do to a child. Like sometimes you'll do therapies and you're go, you're doing the exercises and the child's almost, you're the teacher and the child's like a student, almost like a driver and passenger relationship. Whereas for CAMS, you really need the child's emotional engagement and the whole activity. You really need to be on your A game. And that working with someone rather than working to them it helps me out an awful lot. But in terms of direction in my career, you can stay working face to face with kids, which I'd like to do somewhat because it's satisfying in of itself. Doing lots of education for parents, but then producing materials like there's so many venues for this now. Like even on Instagram doing videos and producing online content like eBooks. You can go into academia, like teaching in universities. That's a path a lot used to do. i like that as well. But the lovely thing about this job is you can be relatively modular with it. So you don't have to do one thing or the other. You can focus a little bit on your clinical practice. Then you can go into your own business or you can go into the educational side, which I really, really enjoy. And then see what, what you get the most satisfaction and the most enjoyment out of. And then lean into that. Like everyone says, if you enjoy what you're doing, it doesn't feel like work. This talking to you, I was just finished a session before we got on Zoom here, and that didn't feel like work either. And the the most that was a young family who were dealing with a very specific, very challenging sensory behavior. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have a solution, they tried everything, they'd been through a number of other therapists, and that brings in a bit of detective work. So every case is unique and makes you very active problem solving. I think for a lot of new therapists, Dubai is a little bit guilty of this. A lot of new therapists fall into a bit of a rut of getting comfortable doing something like a session they can do and they make every child fit that session, but they don't, it's almost like they never found that passion for learning. They don't enjoy the process of getting better. And because somewhere like Dubai, it does have supervision, but they don't insist on it by law like they do. For example, the UK is brilliant for this. Then you realize, oh, I can see the benefit of learning from someone who's exceptional or finding your therapeutic heroes and emulating them and being the best you can be. And the lovely thing about OT is it's a life, it really is. It's a truism to say it, but it's a lifetime journey. You never stop learning. So, at least, and I like jujitsu as well. It's amazing we got this far and I didn't talk about jujitsu. i just go on. Um, that anyone who says they know it all, I know jujitsu, I know therapy. No, you don't. That's my first sign you have no idea what you're talking about because there's, it's an endless process. You can always learn something, that means it's always interesting
0: tell me tell me right now we're suffering with the 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 coronavirus that's that's going around and everyone's kind of like on lockdown in various countries in various amounts you're you're dealing with kids being at home having to learn online as we see lots of them are at the moment um some people live in a a nice comfortable house with a garden but some people live in a one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartment with no balcony and not much space and if that was me living alone i'd be climbing the walls how do you how do you keep um uh, kids children with determination stimulated during times like this and is it is it a big challenge
1: it's an enormous challenge and my that's my work phone here this is blowing up with parents in exactly that situation and in the apartment living I have kids who are if they were had if they were in the middle of the Central park and had every type of like jungle gym play equipment, they would still be super energetic what I affectionately call my hard charging boys, typically boys and they need a lot of sensory input. It's very typical in our community to have sensory differences. so sensory processing differences. So some of my guys are very sensitive to like labels in the clothing, but then some of them are very sensory seeking. So we need a lot of movement. When I say movement, I mean a lot of movement. They need to use their muscles and get that energy out somewhere. So it's usually running and cycling and swimming pools and playing on the beach and anything. You can throw the kitchen sink of exercise at this kid and they'll eat it all up. When you're stuck, when your world is so small and you're in an apartment, even the biggest villa, it'll seem pretty small when you put one of my boys in it then you need to be really creative. But yeah, this is the boundary world we have to exist in. So there are creative solutions. And a lot of these didn't come from therapists, they came from very kind of ingenious parents who found this works well for my my family. And then the community sort of takes it and runs it. For example, a lot of my boys and girls now Almost universally, they'll have an indoor trampoline. They'll have a chin-up bar and a door frame. They'll have a Lycra bag hanging from the chin-up bar. The child can get in and experience that squishy, swinging sensation that's really, it's calming and organizing. And then they'll have a lot of these other, I have loads of printables and little things of games and activities that are fun and intrinsically motivating, but can fill the day and keep that young person's sensory cup, I use a sensory cup metaphor a lot, filled up. So we feel a bit more calm. But more organized. That sort of movement and that sort of activity level, it's not a panacea. It doesn't take away all the behavioral issues, but it generally does help the child feel like they're a bit more on an even keel. They feel a bit more emotionally grounded and organized and ready to face whatever challenges that comes their way. Because I like one of the things I'm getting presented with a lot now is families were trying to stay afloat. So they're approaching this like, okay, we can maintain this for a week or two weeks. Like they were treading water and trying to keep their head above the surface. This is not a temporary thing. This is some a world you wouldn't exist in for a little while now. So you've got to have a way to live within this space and be productive in this space, not just get through the day. Otherwise, those bad habits will creep in. Not even bad habits, but just things that are going to have consequences. And then not only is gonna, that going to make your day-to-day living, a little more challenging, make the child more likely to be anxious and stressed and emotional and engage in big behaviors. But it also means when this all finishes, and it will finish, this too shall pass, then what place will you have guilt, guilt, guilt. So parents feel a lot of guilt about this. So it's no, it's hard to know. This is uncharted territory for so many people. So it's how to listen or find the information, by all means, reach out and find me and Put supports in place to make this livable, to get through this, and then help your child get through it as well.
0: Let's just talk about World Autism Day. It's. um, I'm gonna just check out Wi-Fi connections. Okay, can you? Are you loud and clear with this? I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've got World Autism Day. It's a day, and you said to me earlier on that it's it's also a month. And yes. And so for those of us that uh, have been exposed, are exposed, have members of our family, we're, we're, we're kind of aware of this because we've experienced it before. For those of the community that haven't experienced it before, I don't know much about it. How can they either get involved, support it, celebrate it, um, and, and be part of this in any way? What, what would you advise somebody to do if they were keen after listening to this to try and do something today?
1: yeah it doesn't have to be anything very grandiose some people like to do like big statements big shareable and instagrammable things uh it doesn't have to be anything so grand one of the main things is to educate yourself if you you realize oh it's world autism day what does that really mean if you have a look at some of the really good content out there for example my favorite is the national autistic society in the uk they have things that for example they have one wonderful video that's like a first person view from someone in the spectrum going through a mall or a shopping center. And that's like, oh, I see why this is something because it's a world that's invisible to most of the population. Then you realize, oh, this thing that I perceive as every day and not a problem, why this person finds it very challenging, why normal day-to-day activities like getting the bus or going to town is really, really challenging. So when you have this information, it makes you a little bit more empathetic and a bit more understanding and realize, oh, this is, I see why this person, I can relate to them. It makes it more personal. And that sort of personality thing, when you connect with someone, the main thing for it is meeting and speaking to people on the spectrum and hearing their own personal stories. So think people like um, Amethyst Schreiber on Ask an Autistic as well. These, this world of YouTubers that are on the spectrum, go onto some of their channels, get the information, educate yourself then by all means so there's things you can do for example if, if you it's a little bit restrictive right now because we're in this world where we can't go anywhere and do anything so normally it would say things about what you would do in your classroom or what you do in the playground in school if you have someone on the spectrum is listen to them and speak to them and ask questions because they're they're very keen for the world to kind of care about what they think because they're usually being told what to do so being asked for their opinion is really really important and now by all means they'll tell you what they feel and what they think a good like i'll tell you a very interesting example of that you might find this interesting is like if you think of someone with autism do you call that an autistic person or a person with autism so is it autism first or autism second and people or the well-meaning community who are uh, maybe um not asking those with the, on the spectrum what they thought. We're thinking, okay, this is John who has autism. So person first, John who has autism. But then there's a very vocal group of the autistic community who will say, no, we are the autistic community. I am an autistic person, not a person with autism because they feel like there's nothing wrong with that. To say John has autism, make it sound like autism's a bad thing to have, like he has a broken leg or like he has asthma, that it's a disease to be avoided and feared, Well, no, it's just an aspect of my personality, like saying I'm left handed or that I have red hair, brown hair in my case. But that's, this is something, oh, it makes total sense when you hear from within, from the personal account of someone, someone's own testimonial, but it's very revealing. And it, uh, there's a lot of those little light bulb moments, even simple silly things like, going online and finding TV shows involving individual thoughts, especially in recent years, like Atypical is a great one on Netflix. And seeing okay, this is, it's funny, it's well done, and it'll help, it'll educate you a little bit of what challenges these, these kids and young people and adults and families deal with.
0: What, what percentage of the population, um, or how many out of every million uh, or thousand, whatever it is, um, are, are born on the scale? There is some disagreement about that number. So the main one you hear quoted
1: all the time is 1 in 68 of kids. And that comes from the CDC in the US. Now there's massively varying diagnostic rates between countries. For example, places like France, very low incidence because they tend not to identify it or they'll call it something else. A really good point to kind of clear up another thing as well is if you look at that number 168, you're like, wow, that seems really high. Then go back 10 years, it was like tenfold less. And where is this? Is it skyrocketed? Is it an epidemic of autism? What's causing this massive increase? If people are renaming it. So things that, because people are more aware of autism now, so you have diagnosticians and doctors and psychologists who have educated themselves. Now they have the tools to identify this thing. And now they've got a name to give it. And they've got a support system to place it within. Now you've got a massive increase in what is called autism or individuals in the spectrum when they bring out the new diagnostic manual sorry the dsm that changes the criteria. every time we bring out a new one of those it changes the criteria which expands the area of individuals who would fall within the spectrum as well and autism is one of these things that spectrum is challenging for a lot of people it looks so different
0: that's really interesting. So basically, you, there, there, there aren't there aren't precise numbers. However, yeah, because I remember this when when, when I was younger. It's like that, that, No, that no, that person's got learning difficulties. Uh, and yep. so you know that at the, at my sister's school, I remember it. We had the, the, the kids that had Down syndrome. We had the kids that were autistic. The kids that were uh, Asperger's, and then we had the others, which was the majority, and they had learning mm-hmm. difficulties. Yeah, and so I said.
1: Yeah. I'm from Ireland. And when I was growing up, it was, there was a whole like grab bag of euphemisms that people would just pull from. I was like, oh, they're just special, which was just a, a touchstone. could could mean any number of things, but it was like, oh, that accounted for everything. But there's a bit of a problem with that as well. That it doesn't like, it shouldn't lower expectations for that person. One of the useful things about having a a diagnostic criteria, like a labels. Labels are a double-edged sword, but labels mm. can be helpful for predicting. Okay, I know what might help this individual, and, and it'll help. Sometimes help reduce stigma and, and help this person access the kind of supports they need. But and it's a big but that sometimes these labels can really give people um like preconceptions, like oh, he won't be able to do this, or even excuse behaviors. He doesn't know any better. He's got bloody blah. blah. Oh, don't
0: let me hear you do that. It uh, makes me blood red now. Do, 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 I, was, I was doing a bit of volunteering work at the Dubai Centre for Special Needs, Children Special Needs, down by Safford Park. And it, uh, I, I've been here in Dubai for 15 years, and so I, I, I've obviously got to understand the different cultures and a lot of how they think. But do you think there are cultures or certain nations or parts of the community that find it hard to identify with it if it's a member of their family?
1: Yeah, 100%. Again, it comes from this um, kind of uh, notion that's been perpetuated for the longest time that this is something at fault, something wrong, something broken, something that needs to be remedied or fixed. And it's actually, uh, Dubai is a bit of an interesting place for this too, because we have a slightly unusual population where it's typically, um, especially for the expats, it's older, very well educated, very dynamic problem solvers. So when they see an issue, they're like, okay, uh, let's let's solve this issue let's solve the problem so it almost to a fault sometimes it can be overly dynamic and really want to okay let's put a million things in place or get like 10 different clinical opinions rather than taking a breath and approaching it in a more like a more calm more level-headed sort of approach but no there's enormous cultural differences and it's one of the best things i've had to experience here is dubai such a cultural melting pot you get to see that but What's interesting as well is there's a huge cultural differences in how it's um, how families respond to autism and how accepting they are of it and the response to the different types of treatments, recommendations I'll suggest, but the challenges that young people face are universal. The, the diagnosis and the neurology of it doesn't care where you're, from, where you're from. Things like socialization, communication, sensory differences, they're universal across populations. And that's been shown in this epidemiological studies as well. It's, you know, even though there's differences in diagnosis between countries, it's more about what they're labeling things and how much the clinicians are likely to call something autism versus something else. Well, they,
0: they, at the end of the day, it's classless, it's faithless, it's nationless. Um. Everybody is equal. I mean, ironically, like the coronavirus and and how that's affecting yeah. the world. It's like it doesn't matter who you are. All of a sudden, everyone's equal. And I, uh, and, and I suppose there's, there's, there's some good in that because then that doesn't put it into any form of pigeonhole, and, I think that that yeah really makes it better. Well, I do anyway. What do you think?
1: It does a little bit and every family you see will go through the same sort of emotional journey. And I've worked, i just worked with families from almost every conceivable cultural background. And I always, because when you come here as a relatively new therapist, I see lots of junior therapists with their Western hat on and they almost, they don't recognize their own biases. I don't see it from, if you take the parent's perspective and what they're going through right now. I, I, gets you halfway to helping them and saying, okay, this is a collaborative effort and I can see where you're coming from regardless of where you're from. For example, I work with quite a lot of um, like very religious families from the Middle East and they're trying to navigate the way through puberty and disability and it's really difficult but these are challenges that are universal like i said teenage boy there's a way but there's it's not without precedent these are not new problems so as many families who have been exactly where you've been before and our supports out there like myself but even freely online and other parent groups that the feeling of isolation that can be very specifically cultural too where the feeling okay i need to be able to resolve this within my own world within my own no, you need to connect. You need to get yourself a little uh, little army of supporters and confederates that you can lean on really heavily because this is, it's something that lasts a while. Like the coronavirus, like you say, we need, now we need to be connected more than ever and we need to sort of rely on one another. But then when you see the groups and how people are helping one another,
0: it's amazingly satisfying and it gives you a big boost as well. It gives you that second win that we all need. Adam, thank you so much for your time. We're going to have to leave it there. It's been great chatting to you. How does my audience find you? Oh, yeah. Well, you can find me on Instagram at uh, adam.b.ot, on my face.
1: And you'll see lots of my kids doing jujitsu and stuff as well. You can find me in for therapies and things. If you contact Reach Out Therapy Center, just Google Reach Out Therapies Dubai. You'll find me for clinical services. And then you can find me in, uh, on um, email at
0: it's Adam, D-O-T, at Gmail. Excellent it. stuff. Great. Okay, we'll make sure we put those links here with the content as well. Um, lastly, um, I know that you're a big fan of Jiu-Jitsu. You mentioned it a couple of times. Maybe um, once the coronavirus is out the way and we've got some UFC on the, on the TV, then maybe we can do a bit of a commentary on it and talk about what's been going on in, in recent fights with your your expert knowledge and bring that to the audience and share with them some of your pearls of wisdom around that subject too. Oh,
1: that'd be cool. Well, I do it from my own front room anyway. So it'll be interesting to have an audience who cares more about it than my wife and kids. So that will be fantastic. But even talking about talking, because one of the reasons I'm such a big advocate for it is it's being like a miracle worker for a lot of my kids in this community and that getting them into combat sports. It sounds like an odd fit, but you might have seen it from the boxing, The combat sports, it's a game changer for a lot of my kids my young guys, especially the guys with motor skills difficulties, who are picked last for football. When I get them into jujitsu and get them on that, the blue mats of justice, then they're like, wow, this is amazing. And you see them become this new person, this little mini superior all of a sudden. So that's why I am. All my like receptionists and admin people, they, I think they roll their eyes every time I mention it because it's like my top tier treatment recommendation is do jujitsu.
0: <laughs> okay. It's a bit random, but it, it's really good epic epic thank you so much i appreciate it ladies and gentlemen okay i think you'll agree with me that getting a guest like adam on the show to share stories pearls of wisdom to keep us all aware and lastly to find someone on a special day like this to celebrate world autism day hope you've enjoyed the show and please tune in for the next episodes we'll see you again soon